from Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward. It's great to have you join us on this journey. Kia ora, ko Debbie toko ingoa. I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, ko Josie toko ingoa. I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. Welcome back to Good Awaits. It's great to have you join us again. And today we're very excited to welcome Sani Hart to the podcast. Sani is the director of Coromandel Adventures, a foundation trustee and treasurer for the Coromandel Kauri Dieback Forum and treasurer for the Upper Coromandel Forest and Bird Branch. Environmental sustainability and care is a core value of Coromandel Adventures and Sani is an advocate for increased awareness of the impact of the visitor economy with a primary focus on protecting local forests from infection with Kauri Dieback. This has included initiating a visitor contribution program, enabling visitors to make donations towards supporting local initiatives. Keenly aware that the industry relies on the environment to attract visitors, Sani is now looking to be a part of positive change, which encourages tourism businesses to contribute towards local environmental projects that strengthen and support the ecology of the region rather than extract from it. With the support of the Ministry of Primary Industries and the Department of Conservation, and the local iwi, Patukirikiri, Sani is embarking on a community project with the intention of establishing a long-term management plan between the local community and DOC with the vision of restoration of a local site of cultural and historic significance to the town. It was great to have Sani on the podcast and it's clear that she is deeply passionate for her place. And she is an outstanding example, I think, of a tourism business who is connecting their tourism work to their community. Her story was so inspiring and really enjoyed the conversation. So we hope that you also find this episode enlivening listeners and that it sparks conversations for you and your community. We invite you to consciously listen and to engage with what resonates with you. Welcome, Sani. Thanks for coming on to the Good Awaits podcast. Uh, kia ora, Josie. Kia ora, Sani. Great to have you here. Hi, Debbie. So, Sani, we'd like to start the podcast by asking you, what was one of your first travel experiences or a memorable travel experience for you and and why was it impactful? That's a really interesting question. You know, as a, as a child growing up, you know, th- there weren't huge financial resources sort of behind and in the family and um, for the majority of my childhood I was um, raised with my uh, brother and sister um, by my mother and so we tended to we tended to go visiting people rather than going on um, sort of vacations as such so we would um, visit friends and family we would travel travel up into Northland and sort of hire out sort of campgrounds whereby we would collect with other friends and families. And so um, sort of holidays and vacations were always about connection rather than looking and seeing and doing. 
So for me, that that was my you know that was my foundation of um, travels. And one of my first trips internationally was over to um, Fiji um, with the diving group, and we sort of went off into one of the um, offshore islands and in with the local local um, village people, and it was this real again this real sense of connecting. So it wasn't as much, um, the experiences wasn't as much as sort of being and doing and seeing different parts of Fiji. It was in connecting with the people and the villages and um, life there and really slowing down. And, you know, that, that probably is my standout sort of memories of both early travel and also travel in adult times, adulthood. Mm, that's lovely connections with people mm. so how how did you end up I mean obviously this is shaping your thinking for your own business tell us a little bit about the journey how you got to uh, your own business first how you ended up in the tourism industry well that was that was almost by chance you know um, I was a trained teacher and um, had had left left Auckland um, in 1999 with my three young children. I wanted them to grow up with a sense of wild space around them and the ability to explore the outdoors and get to know themselves and get to know how things worked, get in touch with sort of real life. Really, I could see our life um, in Auckland um, where I grew up becoming increasingly small but restricted by budget and also restricted by the sense of needing to um, you know, sort of control and um, sort of control and manage um, play and to keep, you know, to, around keeping safe and really didn't want that. I really valued the um, parts of my childhood, which allowed me to leave the house in the morning and be back by dark. And um, the adventures and the things that happened during that time and um, as well as the times, you know, sort of deep in my grandmother's garden learning um and spending in spending time there so that was really what I was wanting to be able to provide for my children you know the Coromandel we discovered the Coromandel it wasn't an area that I was at all familiar with prior to moving here it had no experience here whatsoever and so that journey of discovery is we were going on advent I was going on adventures with my children and we were exploring it in all those different ways was really the foundation for um, really, truly valuing, you know, the diversity that we've got in Coromandel and it beca- establishing itself as my um, Tūranga Waiwai, a place where we really stand and I uh, stand and belong and feel strong. So um, it was after a period of some significant health challenges that I needed to really restart my working career and um, had... And during that during that time, um, discovered that there was some real issues around connectivity in the Coromandel, and so often people would arrive in Coromandel Town because it's called Coromandel, expecting to find all of the diversity that we have in Coromandel in this tiny town. And um, if they had arrived without transport, so it arrived by the ferry, for example, they couldn't couldn't get to the beach or couldn't get to the forest, or couldn't experience that um, rich diversity that we were here for here. So it was, a, in a sense, a real letdown. But see things like, oh, is this all that's here? 
a waste of time. <laughs> and I just couldn't let that stand, really, you know. And um, there was the opportunity. So basically went from there to say, this is the opportunity. Let's put a um, tourism business together that is, you know, has some scope to help people explore the diversity that has the, um, that works that whenever possible, we say yes, you know, let's do that. You know, let's everyone experience the Coromandel in the way they want to rather than having the, the options so predetermined that unless you had your own transport, um, you were, your experience was going to be fairly narrow. And, um, and being based in Coromandel Town, it meant it was, it's a perfect um, place to establish a bit of a hub where you can go in a different direction every day and have a um, wildly different, ex- wildly different experience seeing wildly different um, parts of the peninsula. That's fantastic. Responding to the need, right, that you saw. That's great. So tell us about your mission, your uh, Coromandel Adventures mission. Sustainability is at the heart of your business and your mission. So tell us about that. That's right. So prior to starting Coromandel Adventures, it said there were some health challenges there and part of the recovery um, was um, establishing our own native tree nursery um, with my husband. And, you know, when your health's not so good, you tend to move pretty slow. And that means that you're um, sort of, if you're in the forest, um, it gives you the real, uh, a great opportunity to really observe what's happening. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's where it really started. You know, we were intimately involved, especially with Cody, but also um, loved the land. And um, that was a starting point for a mandate, if you like, in terms of Coromandel Adventures. And we were looking to connect people with that diversity and the nature and the Cody Forest in particular. So the respect and passion for the Coromandel drove um, the two of us. We were personally committed to that. So your mission is on your website is to provide the insights and to help create the conscious understanding that our natural resources are under pressure. So that comes from quite a deep place, I suspect, for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It, it really does. Um, respect and passion for the Coromandel and the Cody Forest in particular has um, is a driver for me both personally and within the business. One of the challenges that um, we've been facing over the last um, few years prior to COVID has been this realisation that, you know, the places that are of um, particular importance, significance and beauty have become, you know, sort of witnessing them on the daily basis becoming increasingly overwhelmed by the sort of volumes volumes of people and often by different under, diff, different levels of sort of appreciation or respect that um, arrived with some of those people. One that was very personal to me was, you know, sort of heading up into the Cody Forest and um, just seeing a lack of real engagement. What I would see would be it being used as a stop-off point so we can jump out of the car, take a photo with a big tree and off we go and we might bring our dogs and we might we might be smoking and we might be drinking, we might be yelling, we might be, you know, and actually, de- you know, sort of devaluing that experience and having a real impact on the special nature of that environment 
I do think that and really value the ability and the option that we have to be able to um, enter into a you know significant forest and um, locally it's our Cody forest and be able to take a moment you know the air quality in those forests absolutely beautiful the majesty of the trees when they're standing in a grove the, ho- the whole sense of being in there can be phenomenal but it's important that if we're going to continue to have um, access that we need to be helping people um, gain a greater understanding and respect and and knowledge of you know sort of why these places are so important because to in order to be able to make the risks of them coming in worthwhile. If we're talking about Cody dieback, every piece of foot traffic comes the risk of carrying the um, Phytophthora pathogen or Cody dieback into the forest. And so I see it as really important that we do a lot more. We take it a lot more seriously around helping not only just to set up the biosecurity stations, but building understanding around why that's, why they're necessary and, and why behaviour needs to change. Because rules are one thing, and as Kiwis, you know, we're great at stepping over them, really, or seeing that there's an, you know, we're an exception, we're here, these are ours. Um, but actually, it's actually, once you start to connect, connect meaning, behind meaning into the ecology, meaning into the um, sort of Cody dieback, meaning into why it's also special and unique, then you have a totally different understanding and then there's the respect and then there's the motivation to, sure, I'm going to make sure I come on with clean shoes and I'm going to carry it in my car. I'm going to not just step past this, um, you know, sort of piece of equipment. And, And that's where we have, um, a responsibility to our future generations and and that's something that we've got to sort of really sort of look at working together and um, doing better and it was a it was messaging that and feedback that became quite clear over the program that we ran through over Christmas. I'm a founding trustee of an organisation called Coromandel Cody Dieback Forum, which was set up at the early stages of Cody Dieback Awareness to set up to try and get communities to sort of take ownership and responsibility of looking after our own trees, saying, okay, these are, these are, these are ours, let's look after them. You know, let's get some messaging out there. You know, let's get some public awareness out there. Let's, let's start, start this process happening. Anyway, as part of that organisation, the Coromandel Cody Dieback Forum, we're lucky to be awarded some funding from MPI to run some public awareness programs over summer. And having a team of Cody guides sitting otherwise on their hands with not much to do, that gave us the opportunity to be able to um, fulfil the needs of that contract and provide some real discussion at the gates of a local Cody Grove in the terms of Cody Dieback Ambassadors and really helped to um, deepen the knowledge and understanding that people had prior to entering. Um, part of the program was, was to offer free guided walks up into the Cody Forest, again, to sort of just deepen that understanding of in terms of the ecology and the sort of cultural values, life cycles of the Cody 
However, there wasn't a great take-up on making a, a booking. In the end, what we found to be really effective was just positioning ourselves up in the grove. A little bit of an ambush, if you like, but it's basically, basically there yeah, on the spot so that when, when all of a sudden walkers were confronted by the spectacular grove and, and, and the impact of that did um, cause them to take a breath and pause, we were there and able to sort of continue the conversation sort of a little bit like a walking talking um interpretation board (laughs) and um that worked really really well the feedback you know from that and the you know sort of depth of understanding that was able to be you know facilitated there felt like something really meaningful knowing the importance of track ambassadors um had set up a, or started to send up a funding platform whereby people who were travelling with us uh, had the opportunity to donate or contribute towards the Tech Track Ambassador programs to um, help keep the Cody Grove safe. Um, right at the beginning of that is when um, February 2020 and COVID started having an impact. So that didn't get the chance to really get off the ground. So this other program was a really great substitute. It meant that we could continue to explore, you know, the, the potential of developing that increased understanding and, and biosecurity, behaviour change. I, I want to go back a little bit to what you were saying about being kaitiaki or, or stewards of your Turanga Waiwai and your connection to the Coromandel. We know that you do a lot of work in the community, obviously as a tourism operator in the Cody Dieback, but could you talk to us a little bit about what is so special about the Coromandel and the way that you see yourself as a steward or the work that you're doing as a steward for your community? One of the most mind-blowing um, aspects of living in the Coromandel is the obvious, and that is be living somewhere whereby you're surrounded in such diverse beauty wherever you go that it totally reinforces for me this is my home and I'm so proud of it as I sort of arrive down get onto the Thames coast that's the start of the driveway (laughs) feels like my driveway I'm returning home up the Thames coast what a wonderful what a wonderful driveway and then getting the you know the elevated views on top of the hills of the harbour increasingly you know getting towards whichever degree from whichever direction you're returning to, um, it reinforces, yes, you know, this this is my place. When I move away and spend time outside of Coromandel, it's almost as though your feet aren't quite touching the ground. And that clean air, fresh water, the 10 acres that we live on, oh, um, beautiful town, that's one thing. But at the heart of all of that, and beyond the beauty, the natural beauty we're surrounded with, it's a real sense of community. And it was connection and place and recognition and, you know, sort of familiar faces and community that makes the Coromandel more than ever the place that I now refer to as my Tūranga Waiwai. Because of that, the sense of the need to be contributing and being part of that community is something that's really of significant significant importance to me, and as I said, there was sort of I had some internal conflict prior to COVID around being part of an industry that was, in a sense, sort of driving this over 
overrunning of some of the places that um, are so important to us and being overwhelmed at times by the de- sheer density of uh, people. Once COVID, we came out of lockdown after COVID, um, it really struck me that there was a chance um, whereby while there was some additional support in the way of wage subsidies and we were still sort of floundering while we were working out what was coming next, that we weren't being um, overwhelmed by the amount of business that there was. There was you know, no business as such in terms of sort of tours or, or shuttles or anything else to operate. None of that was happening. But we, So we did have an opportunity then, I felt, to give back to the community environment. In fact, I felt very strongly that given the support that we were receiving and the lack of regular business, that it was a time that could be, we, we could really be um, giving back to the environment that the industry had relies on and had been relying on very heavily. And that pause allowed that to be sort of acknowledged and given and, and given back and that if we hadn't if we weren't going to do that then we were very much buying into something which felt like an extractive process then came the quest basically to say okay well you know one of the real challenges around sustainability and contribution to the environment is actually coming up with them what are you going to do so <laughs> what right. is it that, that you're going to do and yep. um how are you going to do that? And is this just for a couple of days or is this going to be sustainable? Is this going to be a long-term contribution or is this going to be an idea that you pick up and then drop again as soon as, as soon as you get busy? And I think as a small business owner, that idea of it's not necessarily that you aren't wanting to do more for the environment or the community, but surely that you're so um, resource-wise and time-wise you are so many things at the same at the same time that that is a real challenge, and so for me it felt really felt that we didn't have the resources or the time to pick up a project from scratch and go out there and start to do something new. But there are community organisations and volunteer groups that are out there, long term, doing you know a lot of good work, and um, whereby. An extra hand while we had the resources to be able to contribute that then we could sort of add value that way rather than committing to something really long term which we had to then pull out of so we had a yeah there was a group called um, Spirit of Environmental Trust that for um, years have been planted had been planting kauri trees on a Department of Conservation site all their work plan was behind given the lockdown as a team, we could go along there and provide some real momentum at that time to um, get in there and you know, pick up a machete and do some weeding. You know, that felt that felt meaningful. So we know you're also working on a community project in collaboration with DOC, the Department of Conservation, and Patukirikiri, the local iwi, uh, in your region on restoring a site of historical and cultural significance. Could you tell us a little bit about this project and some of the challenges that have come up through that? Yes, that's right. The future future of the business was looking very, very uncertain. Our wage subsidy was finishing and it was really important to um, give the team time to 
focus on getting organized for whatever was coming next. It was a really challenging time, both personally and, um, and you know, for each of the team members that um, there was, you know, there was no certainty um, coming up in the future. Um, at the same time, it's, there was an um, interruption to the community group's work on the site because it had become evident that there wasn't the um, long-term management plan that they required to work on that site with DOC. Previously, it had been a site that was a bit off the radar in terms of this particular site was so heavily um, infested with invasive exotic weeds and only only a, a very marginal amount of regenerating natives as well as these crota trees that it was sort of a, a piece of land that had looked a bit like a wasteland. So pe- the community had got involved in saying, you know, let's, let's do something positive here. You know, what a, what a vision. We can create a forest and, um, you know, sort of make some positive change on the site. And absolutely, um, that's a fantastic vision. However, once their work um, doc requested that the work stop, pending, you know, with, with the absence of a long-term management plan, that then was a bit heartbreaking for the community group. But Doc had a really good point that actually, primarily, we have to protect the soil, being the foundation of everything, from the introduction of Cody dieback. I could really see both, both sides of what was happening as a person in the community and um, as being involved um, for that sh- very, very short time um, with the project, I had been lucky enough to be inspired by um, a bit of a local legend who was running the project and his vision of what that of, of, of what it could be. So I had been carrying that vision and that um, inspiration in terms of thinking, yes, that is a really exciting picture. Imagine an urban forest on the t- doorstep of the town. And um, that's worth that's worth dreaming about. Um, and then, of course, being challenged by this um, sort of cease work order, really. Um, and that meant that we could um, again apply for more some some more Cody Dieback funding and um, start the process of working to get some sort of community voice and facilitate a, a process of collaboration and um, within the community with the hope and intention of getting some cohesion between all the various different community groups and agencies and community members and businesses around a um, vision, a a potential vision for for the site and sort of developing the relationship with Patukirikiri, the local iwi, and then align that with what DOC needs to satisfy their mandates and of protection and connection on natural resources so that they would thrive, you know, of looking towards a, a um, strengthening the historic natural and cultural heritage of a place. It speaks to, you know, this work in regeneration, whether it's in tourism or, or otherwise, takes time and is not without challenges. And it speaks to this whole thing being a process, I think, right, that there's no quick fix and that community engagement and creating the vision and working through all the roadblocks is a process that does require time 
and energy. That's right. And I mean, as it's a whole new world for me, that particular world. As a small business owner, you have a team and you can talk about ideas, but you're fairly autocratic. You can be fairly nimble in that space. If it's a great idea, you can move on that really quickly. So this is my learning right now. And this is the challenge of the, the time required is something that is new. So, you know, needing to sort of step back and say, okay, well, that was a really optimistic timeline. Um, but actually, <laughs> if you stick to that timeline, you're pretty much shunting this along on a predetermined path that's not actually collaboration. So we've got to sort of stretch this out and give time, give space and, you know, provide opportunity and the time and provide time in order to sort of connect in a meaningful way with the different groups and agencies to get that community voice because otherwise just talking to the community groups that are sort of local ecology based that's not a community voice you know that's the inner circle that you can communicate quickly with you know actually we can just spread quick you're going to spread beyond that and really get a sense of balance and that's very much where we are at the moment this is about all of us working establishing that vision that we can all tie into as as a you know as a community we can work if we're working towards that same vision we can all do our different parts take our different roles have our different mandates our different priorities but so long as they're feeding from and tapping into that that core vision that overarching vision we're working towards it in our own in our own way at the moment our local local graphic artist is giving me a hand to um, draw that up because if we can if we can get that working and um, then then that's something that that can then go on and be able to use as a bit of a blueprint for other similar projects and um, I think the more that as a community as a region as a nation we're able to sort of share and work together the more mm. the sense of resetting is going to be easier. You know, recreating from scratch all the time it's, it takes too long. You know, the, the more we can sort of um, help each other to you know, get ahead and start with a model that just needs to be adapted to to um, a specific a specific project. If we've got foundations that we can share, then that's really um, what I'm really sort of hoping for long term is that not only do we are we able to sort of successfully achieve a community long term plan which will sit with the local iwi um, between local iwi and DOC, but that we have a model that's able to be utilised for in other places and for other projects. Nice, Sunny. You you've talked a little bit already about about your understanding of regenerative tourism and in particular these ideas about the connections. Could you could you talk to us a bit more about how you define regenerative tourism or how you communicate it to people who the term might be new for? Um, I guess for me, regenerative tourism with the process of something being regenerative is describing something that is working towards positive change. And uh, for me, um, positive change in tourism will be a place whereby we're working towards meaningful connection and connection with people, connection with place and 
um, connection, you know, con- you know, connection with self, I guess, as you know, as part of that. But people, place, and stories, and that therefore, by doing that, we are um, providing opportunities of um, gaining increased understanding and respect from an operator's point of view. That that is our responsibility. That our responsibility is to help people along that journey by, you know, sort of providing um, context and meaning. That it's not an experience, it isn't about getting from A to B and being able to sort of showcase the whole social media account full of the places where I was. But, you know, here is a selfie of me here and here and here. It's about actually getting getting out beyond that and saying so that when people left, they had stories that are worth sharing. They had understandings and perceptions that were meaningful for them, and that is then that is then where value is really represented. That's beautiful. We're all challenged a little bit about creating a definition for regenerative tourism or having this conversation, and do we really need a definition that's succinct or clear? Because you know, we're all at different stages on this journey, right? And there are listeners who will be right at the beginning of the journey and who won't know what any of this means or where they start. And I think it's important for us to make some of those challenges that we all face in in being on that same journey and struggling with the language or the new idea or trying to figure it out and what it looks like and all of that. You know, it's not something we can neatly package with a bow. So I just really thank you, Sunny, for being an operator who just is sharing your story, you know, with with this process. You've always had these values, regenerative values at heart, obviously. But now we've got this language about regenerative tourism. We're trying to be more conscious about how we're doing it and bringing it to the surface. And I just want to appreciate your sharing that and, you know, that it's it's not necessarily, necessarily easy to put language around it. No, it's not. You know, it's it's a way of being, you know, it becomes a way of being. Regeneration involves positive change, continual positive change, rather than making one change or a set of changes and stopping there. That's not regenerative from, you know, from my understanding, you know, whether, it's, whether you're working for, um, when you are, whether you're working in your garden, looking at sort of rebuilding soil or whether you're working in the community or on your business or, or wherever you are, it's something that has, and looking at next steps, always next steps. Um, and that's where the role that I started yesterday is so exciting, provided the opportunity or um, was accepted as with the role of setting up a community native tree nursery in Coromandel Town and working with Rangatahi, so the um, young people from the Kura at Manaya and Coromandel Area School, both in providing um, transition and wet schools experience, but also in enabling um, children and students of all ages the chance to get involved with with local ecology. And I think that given the current focus on climate change and the potential of a less than positive future, that that those ideas 
are sort of sitting in around our children and our young people sort of very strongly. So that providing them the chance to say, to get engaged and to get involved and to say, well, I can identify that we have a, you know, there's a problem with the stream and I can help make it better. So it's about absolutely empowering and sort of engaging them with the concept of being able to be a change maker for good and um, having some control over that process rather than it feels something that's well out of their control and disempowering. So it's a super exciting. It's a super exciting project for me. It does it ties in experience and um, experience from the past in terms of teaching and, and nurseries and sort of tourism and these local um, projects that I'm involved in at the moment. It brings it all together with a nice tidy bow <laughs> and is something that will, um, you know, be, will be really interesting to see, um, you know, sort of how that, how that grows. And, you know, with each passing week, the threads in and around it seem to become more and more enmeshed and, um, so that is something that will sort of work in around um, everything, everything else. And we'll call it this um, beautiful portfolio of being part of a, a, a life in a regenerative cycle, yeah, working towards positive change. And for those rangatahi, it's also fostering their connection to their place as well, right, which is coming through so strongly in everything you're saying about the importance of place to this work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, um, you know, there's a real sense of belonging. And in fact, um, that whole project, that principle is, is part of that whole, will be part of that project from the beginning in terms of at this stage, it's a, a large one acre site with a sort of an old, an old shed and a sort of an overrun yard. And it's going to be about involving rangatahi in the process of development from the beginning. So they're not stepping in and producing plants from that stage. They've got a real sense of place in terms of the creep, you know, help helping create that place from the start in terms of putting it together and um and, and getting and getting the program underway. So that's another exciting part. That's fantastic. I love it. So just our last question for you, um, which is also another dreaming question that we want to finish with, Sani. What's your vision for a reimagined visitor economy in Aotearoa? And if you had a call to action for our listeners, what would that be? So a reimagined um, tourism economy from, some, from where I sit and stand here in Coromandel um, would be one whereby it is, it is based around um, developing and that deepening level of understanding and respect where it's based around one of um, connection to people in place and you can travel down many paths with that you know it may be that you're travel you're connecting with people your own people your own family but taking taking the time for that connection and um, you know very much like my childhood experiences and um, holidays with fam- with family and friends. It may be that you're connecting with the people in the place that is one that is new to you, but that it's a range of where where sort of tourism or travel becomes one whereby it's about building stories and contexts of meaning. It's about learning and understanding, um, and whereby 
that increased or new learning or new experience helps to it, it helps to, to lead you towards a more positive future, either personally or within your community or with you know sort of increased understandings and respect so that we're all traveling gently, traveling slower um, and you know sort of with less with less demands and more appreciation. Now it's time to take a bit of a breath. You know, it's that it's that very breath that people were enjoying during um, if you know, if personal circumstances of lockdown allowed a breath. And that was very different for everyone. I was I was incredibly lucky in that my circumstance was tucked away in Coromandel on a beautiful ten acre piece of land with my husband and a breath. That was what was possible. That was really, you know, that was really lucky. But, you know, can we capture that and then recreate it when we need to without the world around us stopping? For me, it was meaningful. And I think, you know, from a lot of sort of comments and conversations since then, that was, that was something that for those who were privileged enough to have that experience, that was one that is one that they would like to repeat. And that's one that I think we all have the opportunity to repeat, but we need to be able to repeat it without the world around us stopping. Yeah. I think that's a perfect call to action to our listeners is, yeah. mm. is to take a breath, right? Yeah, yeah. take a breath. That's the, that's the space where regeneration happens. Yeah. And we're taking a, taking a breath. So, Debbie, that was such a wonderful conversation, wasn't it? It really was. She's very inspiring. She is inspiring. And I think one of the things I love the most about doing this podcast is talking to people who are just doing stuff. They're just out there in the communities yeah. and and doing the work. And I love that we can create a platform to share some of those stories. Yeah, I think so too. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've interviewed Nadine and we've interviewed Trent, both of whom are quite well known in New Zealand for the work that they're doing. Um, so I'm really excited that we're now sharing stories as well of other leaders, but perhaps maybe not as well known. Um, and so Sani is one of those people, which I think is really, really exciting for people to hear her passion and her enthusiasm and her commitment. Yeah, I certainly found a lot of a lot of value in this conversation. So hopefully listeners also feel that way. Um, I think for me, the episode really is about connection uh, on different levels. It's about connection to place and to nature, mm-hmm. um, connection to community and within communities and even connection to self and sort of the, the role of of tourism and this sort of fostering of connection. Yeah, yeah, that did come through really clearly, didn't it, on so many levels with Sani. And it connects quite well to, to episode five with Trent, actually, because Trent talked about this idea of needing to have connection to nature in order to have empathy for nature mm. and therefore to be able to actively protect it. And so I think Sani's business and and just her as a person is such an amazing example of that 
Yes, absolutely, Josie. She That's what struck me when she first talked at the beginning of the episode, that her love of the Coromandel, the whole peninsula and, and everything there was so deep. It really came through. You know, she talked about her kids. They moved to the Coromandel and her kids grew up there and they went out exploring and they did all sorts of things. And I think that's where her deep passion for the place comes from. Um, you know, then she had her health challenges and she spent time out in the bush and moving out a slow pace she talked about how nature can be such a healer and she really wanted others to understand the importance of of the places that she loves so deeply and she wanted people to learn to learn about them so they would want to protect them you know she talked about their mandate right like people would get off the ferry I think to Coromandel Township and say oh is this because it's a little town is this all that's here and there's so much more on the peninsula that she wanted to really help them access those places and then understand how amazing they are. Yeah, and she even talked about how it's actually within their, within their mission for their businesses, the way that they measure success is by visitors increasing their understanding, their respect and mm. appreciation for the natural world, and then to want to actively take a role in protecting it. And I think that is, you know, what, a, what an amazing mission. <laughs> Right. And that's exactly what Trent was talking about, right? That people have to have some understanding and a relationship to nature in order to protect it. And she's, that's the mission of her business, which is really fantastic. Yeah. I think with this work that Sani's doing, especially with the Cody forest is absolutely speaking to that, creating connection to nature. And also that the Cody forest in her region is a way of creating connection within the community in terms of the shared mm. purpose of protecting the place. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to, I want to recap her little story before we talk about community. I love that they, they, during COVID, they had no guests. So for free, right? They went and ambushed people who were coming to this Cody Grove um, and walked with them. They just were like a walking, talking, she talked about a walking, talking um, interpretation board to help them deepen their understanding. Um, so that they could respect that area, understand what it means, and then be motivated to take care of it. So um, that to me was just very uh, inspiring and provides an opportunity for people to, for operators to see where they might look in their community, as Nadine said, uh, where where tour operators might look into their community to see what do we need, what needs to be taken care of, or what does our community need and that's, as you were starting to say, is her connection to the community, right? Is through their their shared desire and their shared vision to restore the cultural and the heritage site that they've been working on. And that's seen them through their challenges. Yeah, and also the power of nature to bring that vision to life in terms of connecting people. She talked about the, the sort of majesty of the forest and mm. the the moment of awe when people walk into the forest and sort of capturing people at that time when they've taken a step back to appreciate the nature and to use that as a as a time to attach meaning and stories to that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably everyone in her town who's interested in protecting their places has that feeling as well. And so that's why they're all willing to get on board with these projects, right? Because they share that passion of having visitors really understand what this place means to them. So it makes me think about Anna's comment that um, 
it's really important who the hosts are when we're looking at our tourism ecosystem, that the hosts are people who are deeply embedded in place because they are the ones that have that connection, that deep passion and love for that place. So, it, you know, listening to Sani made me think about that comment of Anna's as well. We've been talking a bit on, on the podcast, but also on our, on our social media networks and things about this you know, what is tourism's purpose and then therefore what's our role as hosts? Mm. And an answer to that question emerged for me from this conversation with Sani, which was about perhaps the role of tourism is to foster connection, whether that's to place, to community, to nature, self even. Perhaps Mm. that's that's tourism's purpose. Wouldn't it be great if... Every tour operator's purpose was to deepen that connection, those connections. So our offering then perhaps should be directly for tour operators. If tourism is primarily about fostering connection to community, to nature, to place, or to deepen our own understanding of ourselves, what are you doing as a tour operator to deepen this connection? Something to ponder. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful, important question. And it's been great talking to Sani, so we really, really appreciate her time. And uh, next week, we're excited to be talking to another small tourism operator as well um, who has a deep connection to their place. So I think that's something to look forward to also. So thanks, Sani, for your time and thanks, listeners, for tuning into this episode. We hope you found value here. If this has resonated with you or you feel called to get involved, please send us your takeaways, what's inspired you or what you feel called to do as a result of this conversation. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on our website, goodawaits.podbean.com or on Instagram and Facebook at goodawaits. Our episodes are out every Wednesday morning, New Zealand time, and you can find us on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to be notified every time an episode comes out, you can subscribe on your podcast app. And if you would like to leave us a review, we would really love to receive your feedback. We'd like to thank both the New Zealand Awaits team and the Good Travel team for all your support, specifically Erin Carnes for your graphic design, and also Clary Macklin for your wonderful music and production. And thanks, thanks to you too, Josie, for all your effort in this podcast and the hours of editing that you're doing. And thank you to you, Debbie. It's such a privilege to work with you on this. Thank you for everything that you bring to the podcast. So thanks again for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you join us as we harvest the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand. <laughs>